Ag State of Mind, episode 59. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a proud member of the Global Ag Network. I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and today on the show we have Alan Keller. Alan is a writer, a speaker, um, just a all-around great guy from Saskatchewan. He is just an amazing guy with an amazing story of overcoming addiction and his own personal mental health battles to help so many people around him. Um, he was introduced to me by my friend, Leslie Kelly. Uh, she had a giveaway for his book on her Instagram page. I won that giveaway, read the book in just a weekend's time. And it was just really changed my view of how we deal with men's mental health. And I am proud to know Alan. I'm proud to have him on the podcast, proud for him to be a part of this men's mental health series that we are putting together this month. Um, and I think probably the seeds of this series where we're talking about this, about men's mental health, were planted when I read his book back in back in the spring. So um, really excited for y'all to hear from him, hear about him, and go discover more about him in the link in the show notes. So uh, all right, here is my podcast with Alan Keller. All right, Alan, welcome to the Ag State of Mind podcast. How are you tonight, partner? Jason, I am grateful to be here. Oh, great. I love when people are grateful to be here. That's a really good feeling when you're a podcast host and people are, are, are actually grateful for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, truly. I mean, just, and we'll get into this later, but I mean, the, the, the things that I have done in my life, the fact that I'm still alive and breathing, and I would say in a position to share some of the things that I have learned, gratitude is the main word that comes to mind. The thing I've heard, and I've been hearing this a lot lately, is gratitude is a superpower. And I, I can truly attest to that. Agreed. So you have you have an incredible story, and I I have become very familiar with it, and we'll get into that later. But I, I would like for you to and, and take as much time with this as as you want to, because you have just an incredible journey, uh, and just kind of tell people where you were and where you, what you've overcome and what you're doing today, because it's it's really is fascinating. Hmm. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, I guess, like, I, I didn't grow up wanting to struggle with mental illness. I didn't grow up wanting to struggle uh, with addiction. And Jason, I did not grow up wanting to be a motivational speaker. I just, I sometimes reflect on, you know, where, where I was and where I am. And it's, uh, ha, it's, it's been a journey. And I, like, I, I grew up very small town, rural, four and a half roads small. And that last half road is gravel. And, <laughs> you know, we, we had three kind of main pillars in the community. Farming was one of them. Hockey was another. And then the church. The church was the pillar. So it was a very rigid Mennonite community. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate to have uh, loving 
parents, you know, I grew up in a loving home. Uh, obviously, in a small community, we didn't talk about things like mental illness. We didn't talk about addictions. I was like, I had no clue about that world. So for me, when my challenges really surfaced in grade eight, I didn't know what was going on. I, I was later diagnosed with body dysmorphic disorder. And I can look back and see, oh, oh, that's what was happening. Because at the time it was, it was, it was a grade eight grad and they had us stand sideways. So our profile was sideways. And then they traced over our profile onto a piece of paper and they just put it on the gym wall. Right. And for whatever reason, when I looked at that, it unleashed something in my mind where I no longer could look at myself in a mirror without being absolutely disgusted. And, and that was the body dysmorphic disorder. And I avoided mirrors for the next 13 years at all costs. And, and that really, huh, it was hard because I didn't know what was happening. And then I went to a private Mennonite school for grade 11 and 12. And that's where a lot of other challenges with mental illness started to surface and drank alcohol for the first time. And honestly, Jason, and a lot of people say this, but for me, it was so true. It was just a love. Like, like that was my first love. I, I drank it. And for the first time I felt, you know, what people probably call normal. And, and I still didn't know what to do with all this. And I guess, I guess I always hid behind the smile. You know, the, the world was always my stage. So what people saw on the outside was so different than what was happening on the inside. Because on the outside, people could see the person who was present to the school. You know, I'd be athlete of the year, captain of sports teams, whatever. It was just an act. And because because I didn't I didn't know how to articulate what was going on. So it made it very lonely. And then I go off to Holland, Jason. I go off to Holland for a year. And then I travel Europe. And you take this kid who grows up in a you know, very rigid community. I was just this animal that was unleashed. And <laughs> I could imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the life that I led was just absolutely ridiculous. And when I returned, something had to give because I was, I was not doing well. And I was fortunate to be able to get some assistance. And I know for men, it's often a woman, right. Or, or a, a, someone in a position of support who will, help open up that door. And at, at that time, it was my mom. And she said, you know, you have got to do something like, please, just please go get help. And that was horrible. You know, it was really embarrassing. And then I guess, you know, just to fast track in six years, I was put on, boy, I think it was 13 different pharmaceutical pills. And oh, wow. all at once it, or at, at different, it was all different combinations. Uh -huh. Because, I, you know, in hindsight, Jason, I I did not give it a fair chance. I mean, as an alcoholic, you, you med, medication doesn't work how it's supposed to work when you're drinking. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. I, I just continued to hide behind excelling in, in athletics and academics. But there's, there's people who sometimes become influential, right? And I, I had many, but there, there was this one teacher in particular, in one of my keynotes, I call it how, how one man changed my life in 10 minutes, because his name is Ian McNeil, and he he was one of those people who who totally put my path on a different direction because I was in this University of Alberta class with 300 other students, and after this lecture, the professor walks up to me, you know, like up to me, and I, I'd only talked to him a handful of times, and he says, come to my office, Al, let's talk. And I thought, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, it was the right timing. 
And I, I didn't know where he was going with that, but it just felt right. And so I, I remember going up to that third floor and I go into his office and he sits there, points to a chair and he says, have a seat. And then this is what was different, Jason, because he leaned forward and he said, how are you doing today, Alan? And, you know, like that robotic, how are you doing, which is just a greeting, it it changed how he said it. And the difference is, I don't know what it is, 7% of the way that we communicate is verbal, right? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so the other 93%, the, the mannerisms and body language and everything about him was just compassion. And so that was unique for me because I... I removed the mask and I just said, okay, you want to know? And blah, for 10 minutes, I just spoke and and he just listened. And, and the man understood the value and the power of listening. Elders always say there's a reason that we have two ears and one mouth. And, and Ian also understood that we all want power and we all want control because he then kind of asked me that million dollar question. You know, he said, are you happy? It, no, no, I'm not happy. And he said, well, what are you going to do about it? So obviously it became up to me and, and I started to get note takers and I got tutors and I had to write all exams in rooms by myself. And, you know, it was, it was entirely new to access that kind of help. And then he just continuously checked in. And, you know, that that started to put me on a, a very different path where I started to take ownership, I guess, if you will. Mm-hmm. But I also became a compulsive gambler. And that for me was just about escape. There is so much shame around that, though, too, because like I lost everything. And alcohol is easier because it's socially acceptable. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. But then I, I was fortunate to live with a guy who was in recovery and I had never heard of 12 step. And I, I, I did go to my first GA meeting and, oh man, Jason, I remember just crying uncontrollably in the car because, because for me, I knew that if I walked into that building, that it was real. And Mm -hmm. I guess I just love to live in the world of denial. Mm -hmm. Uh, I could acknowledge that something was wrong, but to accept it was completely different. Yeah. And I think we can all relate to that a lot. Mm -hmm. So I, I got myself into that room and it was beautiful because I just felt understood. But, you know, it, it wasn't enough for me to really understand that it was a living problem, right? And, and it, it, came, it came to a, it got to a place where I was teaching special education at a junior high school and I just collapsed in the hallway. And um, all the students rush up to me, you know, oh, Mr. K, are you okay? And yeah, yeah, I'm good. And again, I just hid behind the smile. But at that point, I was actually given one month to live from a doctor because I had just gone back to those old ways pretty quick. And you realize that if you want something different, you have to do something different. And that also was one of those moments, I guess, that put me on a different path. And then, I mean, yeah, I don't know how much to get into here because there's so many different places, but I'll just share maybe... One thing that I found interesting, I, I honestly didn't even recognize that I was an alcoholic. And, and I remember my best friend called me and he said, he's going, going to go to rehab. And I said, what, why, why would you do that? You know, and he said, you realize that every time we're together, all that we do is drink. And it was the weirdest aha moment where 
I understood how much I depended on alcohol. And so here's the weird thing, Jason. I was about to check myself into a treatment center. I was living in the province of Alberta. And then the woman who I was seeing was in a different province. And I told her about this and she said, Al, just get through school, just get through school. Cause it had taken me seven years to get through school and I'm not a doctor, you know? <laughs> and, and so I, I just fought my way through and I moved to, to the other province with her and her two children, three months sober. And I moved in with a lemon of a car, you know, student loans, no job. And the beautiful thing is she saw something in me that I guess I didn't see in myself. The kids loved me for me. And that was just so different. And, and the twisted thing, Jason, is where I got hired was at an addictions treatment center. <laughs> and so I, I actually learned how to become sober by being an addictions counselor. Wow. And people, people don't, don't know that. Cause I mean, I, I don't really share that usually, but, um, at this point, you know, over 10 years sober, I feel like I've, I've, I'm a little more healthy, but that's kind of twisted. Yeah. I mean, that's like, it's almost like poetic justice in a way or, or, or something like that, because it's too incredible not to be true. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, like the world has a sense of humor almost. Well said, isn't that true? Yeah, yeah, and it's, wow, I remember, so with with uh, my wife now, Tanya, when, when I moved in with her and her two kids, she made it very clear. She said, in this house, we are moving forward. We are done with the self-injurious behaviors. You know, she knew my past with anger and, and self-harm, and, and she says, we are done with addictions. We are going to build a loving, and healthy home. And um, wow, that was my, she, she, she still is my rock. But if she would have given me an out, I can guarantee you I would have taken it because sobriety was so difficult uh, to feel, was so difficult. You know, feeling leads to healing, but I spent most of my life trying not to feel. And um, the best man at our, at our wedding, you know, Justin, yeah, just over a year after after that wedding, I got the call that he died by suicide. Oh my and gosh. Um, that, Jason, was... Huh. It's interesting, because I've talked about this so much lately, but it, you know, it just surfaces and... Sure. Um, in a twisted way, his death saved my life. <clears throat> and... Yeah, one of the things that I, I, I did, I, I put it, I, put a tattoo on my throat. Like I, tra he left, he left me a note, <clears throat> and so I traced over those initials and I put them on my throat, as a reminder that I'm done with the silence. And mm -hmm. those initials are surrounded by a phoenix, which is very much rise up from the ashes. Mm -hmm. That loss was paramount in making me aware of the need to not only talk about my pain, but to, huh, yeah, just put it out there. No different than you, Jason, you know, much respect. We're, we're just trying to have a conversation and um, be a little vulnerable sometimes. And since then, I have just tried to embrace the journey. I, Jason, I find life so hard 
but the difference is I know what to do with the pain and I know that it will pass. Mm. That's interesting because you do not seem like someone who would say that life is hard or that you and, find life hard. And I guess that's part of the problem, isn't it? Because, because truly everybody is fighting a battle that we know nothing about. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're, you're a hundred percent right on that. And I, I'm going to back up here just for a second. And I want to talk about alcohol and I want to talk about like, you, you mentioned this, you talked about the social acceptance of it. And you and I started, we talked before we started recording and folks who listen to this podcast know that I have shared my own journey and path to sobriety and it's something that I don't think it's, it's not something to be taken lightly. And it's not something that people need to just gloss over, which I did for a really long time. And mm. it's something that, like you say, it's something that we see on TV. We see in the leaders of our community taking part of it. I mean, it's something that is just so socially acceptable and it, it's really hard to, understand when somebody actually has a problem with it and you don't even see it. You don't even know that they have a problem with it um, because to you, they're just, or to someone who doesn't understand, they're just someone who's kind of uh, dealing with their problems in their own way. And we can't accept or we can't see that that is, is so unhealthy. Yeah, very true. The lens is, is, is very different and yeah you think about what we are exposed to in our society and even as kids and he, here's an example you know i remember going to a basketball game pre-covid and on the big screen it shows this guy who's sitting in his seat and he's got this cup of beer and all of a sudden he realizes that he's on the big screen and everybody's saying chug chug so the man stands up mm -hmm. pounds back the beer and what does he get in return? He gets a standing ovation. A he gets standing ovation, yeah. right? Uh -huh. So he's glorified on a pedestal. And what would a kid who's there learn? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, he's going to emulate him. I mean, he, that that's a man. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I need to strive to be. Right. And the other thing that I find interesting is when we start to talk about sobriety or or it's almost this this crab in the bucket mentality isn't it where let's say i start talking about my sobriety and people then perhaps have to look at themselves and examine their own behaviors which is probably going to make them uncomfortable so therefore it's easier mm -hmm. to shut mm -hmm. me up or to put me down so that they don't have to think that i'm some kind of mirror like how, how was it for you jason and your experiences when you started to um you know openly talk about your sobriety what was what was the feedback like because you're in a smaller community too especially because you grew up around there yeah it's it's mixed you know it's funny that you say that because i've never really thought of it that way because you know there'll be the there'll be it's not a necessarily a negative there's just there's either positive feedback or there's silence and maybe there's negative feedback behind the scenes that i don't see uh which is fine <laughs> that's okay i don't care because 
but like there are people that come up to me and say, wow, that's remarkable that you were able to stop drinking in a culture where it's so acceptable and not necessarily just acceptable, but encouraged to drink. I mean, we started drinking when we were in high school, in our teenage, when we, way before it was legal to do it. And uh, for most people, they never stop. So I often am, am commended, but, but uh, there's also met with silence as well. And it's a really interesting because I've never really thought of the kind of duality there. And, I, and I'm not sure exactly what to do with it other than it either people applaud it or it makes them uncomfortable. Right, right. And obviously the reaction is completely out of out of our control. But for me, Jason, I just really love the fact that you're open, transparent and vulnerable. And, and that's what it's all about. The single thing that motivates me more than anything to talk about any of this stuff is the next generation because mm-hmm. the, the next generation is always training to be men. Right. And, and if we, if we cannot model some of these behaviors, if we cannot talk about it, or if they can't see us reach out for support, perhaps shed a tear, right. Then they won't. Yeah. I mean, it's important for people. So here was my, here's my, my thing with this is when I started talking about this stuff, oh, a little over a year ago, there weren't a whole lot of people like me who were. And like by like me, I mean someone who is the active head of a family, who is a, a father, a husband, uh, someone who's involved in agriculture. I mean, there were a few, but not, especially here in this part of the country, there just wasn't, there wasn't someone like me doing it. So that's an incredible challenge to me. But at the same time, it's also very good to know that, that I, I was maybe, maybe, and who knows, maybe not, but hopefully that I'm able to start a trend. And I've found other people like me who are in the very similar situations to me, like you, like my friend Nathan Brown over in Ohio, um, who are in these similar situations and are kind of maybe blazing the trail a little bit and able to talk about it because hopefully it's the trend that starts. We make the push of the snowball, that first push of the snowball uphill, and eventually it just gets to the top of the hill and rolls downhill. I mean, that's, that's, that's the plan. That's the hope, right? Well, the hope is real, my friend. I mean, it's, you're living proof, like you're a leader. And, and in order to be a leader, you have to be vulnerable. And, and I've learned that vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And, and I know that, you know, whether it's the, the farming community or, or small town or city, wherever, people have got to know that this stuff happens because I didn't know that. And I lived in my head. And that's what damn near killed me for, for so many years. Uh, you know, it, whereas if, if we hear these conversations and if we give ourselves permission to be vulnerable, there's an incredible risk there, which you obviously faced head on, but with risk comes incredible reward. And it's awesome to see. Yeah. And, and like you said, we are hopefully setting an incredible example for our kids after us. Um, Me, like for me, it's, I'm raising four future men, right? I mean, four boys and, 
for them to not have to go through the struggles and silence like I did for a good part of my life, I mean, how valuable would that be that it, that I changed the trajectory and I'm not trying to beat my chest here, but I mean, it, it, it helps me, it helps move me forward. And part of my why is I'm hopefully changing the traje- trajectory of my family legacy. And I think when people start to think of it in that way, that they're changing the way their, the way their family lives, the way their, the men act in their, in their family, then that I think it helps make it all worth it or helps them make that change. No doubt. That's, that's a beautiful thing. And, uh, I'm sure you've heard this, Jason, so many times because these two words are what propelled me to continue to talk. And and, and it's Brene Brown argues that they're the, the most two important words and I would not dispute it. And it's me too. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as I started standing on stages and, and as soon as I started sharing my message, then people start approaching and right, it's, it's the me too. And holy smokes, what does that do? Well, that's connection. Right. And and in those moments, we are not alone. And that, for me, ha- on both sides of the coin, has has been uh, my saving grace. There's 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 no doubt about it. I I remember approaching uh, an elder who I respect, and, and I mean, I had the victim mentality for a long time. You know, the woe is me. And he says to me, "Al, you are not the only person who has struggled with addictions." And he said, "Al." You're not the only person who struggles with mental illness. And Al, you are not the only person who's been sexually abused. He said, if you want something different, go get it because this world owes you nothing. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. You know, he, he could have said it nicer, but he was right. <laughs> and and so the, the single thing that has helped me more than anything is surrounding myself with others who speak my language, meaning lived experiences because for me the moment that i could get myself into a bipolar support group or i got myself into ga i got myself into aa i got myself into a support group for other men who'd been sexually abused i mean the holy the fear the i can't even articulate that but the reward saved my life because here's here's just a little this was a turning point for me too because i just if you're okay with it, I just want to touch on this, this sexual abuse piece Absolutely. because as yeah, men, no, please, please do. As men, we do not talk about that. So, so I, like, I, I always felt like there was something inside that I was killing. I, I, I liked smoking at an early age because I felt like I was killing something inside and I, I didn't know what it was. And, and I, you know, you can drink and drink, but eventually your demons swim and when I was fortunate to move in with Tanya and the boys, and then we had kids and, you know, I had some structure, I had some stability. Then my body understood that I was in a position of strength and, and I got my memories, right? I got mm. some snippets of, mm-hmm. of being abused throughout childhood. Now, at that point, I was pretty messed up. Like, like uh, again, where wh- what do you do with that? Where, where do you go? And... Thank God there was this group in my city. It was the the second one of its kind for men who'd been abused. And 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 I I don't know how I got in that room because it was terrifying. 
but I did. And there was one other guy there and our, you know, I, that didn't help because right. Right. Okay. And I, I can't remember what the counselor said to start off the group, but she asked me some kind of question and like, I just broke Jason. I just, just get me out of this room. And here's case in point. The only other guy who's there says the, the words that saved my life. And, and he said, it's okay, Al, I get it. And like, Jason, where do I get that? There's nowhere in the world I could have got that gift. And, and that's what I'm saying. You have to be vulnerable. You have to take risks, but you get the rewards. Right. And all the men that I've interviewed, the themes, the same risk reward. Right. And vulnerability breeds more vulnerability from others. And that's when you can find someone who you really relate to. And relating to someone is how I feel like we really get better and how we heal. Yeah. I mean, everything for me comes down to connection. We we, we come into this world wanting to be loved. We all want to be seen. We all want to be heard. I didn't know how to be with my pain alcohol suppressed the whole system, right? It, it helped numb all that subconscious pain and it, it served a purpose to a degree, but then I had to learn a whole new way of living. And I was connected to those substances for way too long. And then I had to learn an entirely new way to connect, which required feeling. And uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. Like, do you like life, Jason? Do I like life? I do like life a lot. Yes, I do. And I'm thankful for that. I'm fortunate. Here's, Jason, here's what I find really, really interesting. I was very deliberate for about a year where I would meet anybody who I met. I would, I would ask them that kind of million dollar question. I would, I would just say, are you happy? And try it, Jason, just watch what people do because I saw two very different reactions all the time. One was people would almost be like this deer in headlights where what, what, what me? Or uh, they would just say no. And when I said, what are you going to do about it? Nothing. Hmm. Now that's fascinating to me because I can relate. And this is kind of what we were talking about before, like change. People do not like change. We're creatures of Mm, habit. mm -mm. Right. Correct. And so you you go back to that proverbial fork in the road that that uh, professor put me at. You know, if you want something different, you have to do something different. And and I just find it really intriguing how many people I would argue exist opposed to live because existing is easier. Mm. Yeah, yeah, because then there's 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 no expectation there's no quota there's no criteria you just like you say you just exist and yeah it's easier and you know I, i'm i'm not sure what to make of that really <laughs> yeah yeah i i just i find like in a lot of my keynotes and workshops i do something called the who am i wheel where I ask people to think about certain questions. I give them three minutes and they have to answer questions like, how would you finish this? I like, I love, I fear, I am. How, how do you finish all those? And and what's 
interesting to me is people struggle. People really struggle. Why? Because all of a sudden they're looking at themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think, Jason, that we live in a world where we're so addicted to doing, right? Go, yeah. go, go, busy, busy, busy. Yeah. I had no relationship with myself for most of most of my life. Mm. Yeah. And I think if I think a lot of people, a lot of people, myself included, up until these last couple of years, would have to agree with you. And you know, that it was hard enough before, you know, it was hard enough when we were growing up, when we were adolescents and teens and growing into young adulthood. Now it's even, there's even more distraction. There's even more taking away of being comfortable with ourselves. And that is scary. Right. You know, because we have to know ourselves to ever live out our potential and to ever heal any wounds we may have we have to get to know ourselves and ourselves our, our, our own that look in the mirror can be really scary yeah you you hit it on the head that's where it begins because that right there is connection isn't it and one of one of the guys who i interviewed fascinating man his name is chris Beaudry, and i'm not sure if where you live you heard about mm. the the humboldt broncos bus crash Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember you, we'll, we'll talk about the book in just a minute, but um, I remember the story in the book and I remember it brought back the memories of that. Yeah. Right. Sure. Because his, his, his key piece that sticks out for me is nobody is going to help you to heal. You know, you have got to do the work and, and that's just it. Mm. In order mm-hmm. to live, you have to look at some of the pain and that's the hang up for a lot of people because they, they don't know how to be with it. Um, it's uncomfortable, uh, especially if you're trying to do it alone. And it, that's where people just put up the walls and go back to existing. Because exactly what you said, Jason, it's just easier. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And getting people over that hump is hard. And I'm I'm incredibly grateful that I was able to do that for myself. And I hope, I hope having conversations like this where it's two men talking about the about their vulnerabilities and about their shortcomings and being able to address those head on, where maybe if we if enough people hear conversations like this, enough men especially, then they will be comfortable with it. And oh. that's that's the hope, right? And it's happening. Yeah. I mean, I, I see it everywhere. I, I, I'm curious, like what, like, at what point did you start to see it more? Just uh, in your own journey, in your own kind of uh, path to where you are now, where did that start to change? Where did the tides start to change where you're seeing more? Is it just like where you're like you were gradually seeing it, you know, through your own experiences and then like you were in in these in these groups and you're seeing it then and then you were be able to kind of see it out in the world more? How how'd that work for you? Yeah, that's a that's a very good progression. It started in the rooms, and and for me, you know, when I'd go to on on all these stages across the country, slowly but surely, more and more men would start to open up. Often it was the men lurking, you know, far off in the distance. Maybe he would come up and and start to talk, and and it broke my heart because often they would, you know, the lip quivers, and and they would just say, I I just can't, and then they'd go. Mm. But slowly. 
um, more and more people just went there. And I would say for me, Jason, really in the last two years, and that that's why I wrote that book too, right? Mental health, it's time to talk because that's what I was seeing. All these men are, I don't know if the, you call it a tipping point, but where I live, that's what it was. All these men were like, we're done. This is not the way that we want to go through life. And so more and more men started to just talk. And, and all these rural communities, they're starting to have circles, talking circles. And they're asking me to help them, you know, to guide it. And I'm like, this is incredible. And then where I live, Jason, um, there's a, a city in, in the province next to me. It's called Medicine Hat. And they had seven men die by suicide in the last, well, I don't know, it was probably in the span of four months. And so, you know, I called up the mayor and I said, let me, you know, let me send a box of books. Um, we we got to do something here. Let me know how I can be of service. And I partnered with this guy named Mike Cameron. And and we just had an awesome virtual presentation open to the community. And, and where I'm going with this is in that community, there was a group of men, two of them, and their names are Dylan and Shane, and they saw this need. And so they created something called the Inner Man Project. And when they created it three weeks later, there's 1,300 followers. Now, what does that say? Wow. And 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 it says to me that these men are ready. And so the beautiful thing, if if you can, you know, if you're on Facebook, just check out Inner Man Project Medicine mm -hmm. Hat. Mm -hmm. And I love just going onto that Facebook page and and just soaking it in because one after another after another, these men. They say, okay, you know, it's time. I'm going to share my story. And they do. And Jason, they are not met with judgment. Yeah. They are met with love, compassion. They call each other brothers. That's a beautiful thing. That's incredible. And, and, and I feel like, so to talk, I want to talk about your book uh, because I feel like there's, there was so much of that in that book. Your, your latest book, Mental Health, It's Time to Talk. And so I'm going to give everybody a little bit of a background here is how do I obtain that book? It was through a mutual friend of ours, Leslie Kelly. She, Leslie's been a, a, a blessing to my life and helped me so much through some times. And just her being an example in this space, I'm very grateful for her. But she put out a, a like a giveaway on her Instagram page. And the giveaway was that book, was your book, Mental Health, It's Time to Talk. And I, I, I won, like I won the giveaway. I, I never win anything. So I thought it was incredible. And, you know, it was so funny. <laughs> it was so funny because like the book had to come through customs and when it got here, you could tell it had been opened and everything. It was just, I don't know if I ever have ever been sent something internationally. It was, just, it was, it was kind of, it was just kind of just surreal almost. But so I, I took, I, I held the book for, I don't know, about a week or maybe as longer. I don't know. And Carrie and I, my wife and I, had a weekend trip scheduled where we were just going to go do nothing. We were going to St. Louis for the weekend. It was COVID, so we couldn't go anywhere other than just stay in the hotel room. And we both read, and I read that book in just sitting in a weekend. And I'm not sure what I expected of the book, but... It was not what what I read was not what I expected, and and the reason I'm saying that is you were able to share so many stories of so many men, and to me 
I thought it all kind of interrelated to to one another. And as far as what I mean by that is like they all they were from almost like similar backgrounds or similar parts of your country in in Canada. And it was just incredible. And I, I did not I just did not expect it to be this collection of so many influential stories. And I I just, I couldn't put it down, like, because it resonated so much with me. Not necessarily, I didn't have share, all the shared experiences, but I could relate to each one of the stories in some way. Wow, that's really, really interesting. I appreciate you sharing that. On a personal note, I have a really hard time with, with uh, shame and mm -hmm validation i guess like i i i have never been proud of a book that i've written and um i got a little bit of that with this last one so you know th those are my issues but it it means a lot that you were able to find some value in it and and so much value that i don't even possess the book anymore i gave it away to a, my best friend and huh. you know uh, i told him i'm like read it if you want to but this book meant a lot to me is one of the best is the best book I read this year. And, uh, you know, I don't know if he's read it or not. I hope he has. I hope he starts to at least uh, because it, it, it changed a lot of perspectives for me. That's cool. I appreciate that. You know, what's interesting, Jason, is that book was always bigger than me. It, it, it wasn't. How can I say this? So here's it just is what it is. Here's how it happened. I was shoveling snow in January. So like a, almost two years ago, I guess. And, and I'm shoveling snow and Jason, it felt like something hit me on the back of the head. <laughs> it was so weird. And all of a sudden the whole book, the whole skeleton, of the book's just like brrr, shows up. Mm -hmm. And I thought, whoa, oh, cool. So I, I threw the shovel into the snowbank, ran inside, typed out the skeleton. And, you know, it, it had those themes that are in the book. Uh, and, and. I am not a vision kind of guy, but that's the only thing I can explain this experience as because I don't remember if it was that night or the next night, but I was sleeping and it's like one after another, this long line of people and they're handing me pieces of paper, which evidently was their stories. And then I'm taking all these stories, taking all these stories. And then I realized, hey, these are all men. <laughs> and then I, I woke up and I realized, hmm. This one's supposed to be just for men. And from that point to when the book was on the shelf was 10 months because the book wrote itself. The men showed up. It, it, it's it's call it law of attraction, call it spiritual, call it whatever you will. But it was always bigger than me. I was and still am, you know, to this day, just, uh, I don't know, catalyst, a vessel. I don't know. But I'm just so grateful to be in that position yeah i mean it's it's like you said i mean and i i appreciate that you know bigger than yourself because it was it was so huge it was such a collection of and, and i'm i'm really it's really fascinating to me that you were collecting these stories and it just all happened to be men and like of course it was meant to be right i mean it, it fit right into the title it it was totally and that's another thing i kind of 
redirect here. I didn't, I didn't get the book. I didn't get the title until I held it in my hand, until I had the physical copy in front of me. Uh, the, you know, the big M-E-N part in the mental, like I, that was totally lost on me until I actually, actually held it in front of me and like, oh, wow. Yes, of course. This is great. <laughs> so I just a little bit, a little nugget there. I thought you'd probably appreciate that because I mean, that's kind of a guy thing, right? Like we don't like my wife will tell me like, that's just totally me because I just don't pay attention to anything. <laughs> I'm with you. Details, details. <laughs> But anyway, like I find that so interesting in that you had this vision, but there was like there were so many others who had this shared vision with you. And like it it was even greater than the sum of its parts. Mm. It, it was like this just beautiful synergy in it that just conveyed the just message of of hope and of that people will listen if you do want to talk. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right there. And that's what I found beautiful too. Just how many themes were so similar yet different. And also to truly understand that everyone has a story. And I totally believe that there's nothing more sacred or more powerful than someone's story. And when we're talking about the, the stigma that exists, my experience is, is the number one way to combat stigma is by sharing our story. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. I totally agree. And I, it was, it's something that's very hard at first. It's very hard to share that story to initially, but it's, it's, it's just like riding a bike or skating or whatever it may be. It's each time you do it, it's a little bit easier. And now for me to share my story and to, to be vulnerable is like second nature to me. I have no issue. I have no shame. I have no anything anymore. I did. I did for a long time because I didn't feel like it was something I was supposed to feel. And I suppressed a lot of that for so long, but the more and more I found that it helped me, the more I was able to do it. And hopefully more people will follow suit. And they are, it's like you say, they are, it's a beautiful, how many people are following suit there and, and able to share their stories. And I think for me, it's important to remember exactly what you said, that not everyone is where we are. You know, for us, these conversations are second nature. When, when I go to a uh, like a 12-step meeting, for example, mm -hmm. the, the power for me is hearing the people who are new to, to that so that I can remember where I was and have gratitude for where I was. Uh, yeah. um, like, like for you, Jason, what was it like when you first went to that place of vulnerability and shared some of your pain? It was it was it was. I almost felt like dirty, right? Like almost like when I first, like when it was first coming, I was like, these are, these are things that a man isn't supposed to feel or supposed to, these aren't feelings that I'm supposed to have because I'm better than this. But thankfully I was able, I, I first shared it with professionals and they helped me to realize that it was okay it was it was perfectly normal and so that was great that was great that it was normal for me but then i started sharing stories with other 
men, other friends. And then they told me how normal it was and that mm. they shit found it. And then that was, that was the thing that like, like lit a fire in me when I found out there were other men much like me. And one of them is my, is a very close friend. I'm not going to name names. I think he knows who it is. And he told me his story and his stuff that he's had to deal with. And wow, it just like, you never know. It made me feel you never, and you said this early in the conversation, you never know what someone is suffering through. You never know. You never know who is feeling things similarly to you. And that's really powerful because when you can be vulnerable and tell people that how you're struggling and they can kind of throw it back to you and how they're struggling, it makes, it's like a, it's like an elephant's off your chest. Hmm. Yep. And that right there was what I heard the most that when they finally went to that place, they felt like they didn't have to wear the mask, that they didn't have to hide anymore. There was this liberation freedom, but I find it, sad uh yet like it makes sense that that you felt dirty and and it makes me sad for a lot of reasons because that's a word that is the word that i would probably use shame damn near killed me i still struggle with that so much but yeah dirty and and how many men have also said that that's yeah. interesting but what strikes me is I firmly believe that darkness begs to see the light of day. Like it begs to see the light of day. And the definition of healing for me is pretty simple. It's the more that we can get the darkness out, the more room there's going to be for light. And, and I have learned that just by creating the space where people can go there and they can get rid of some of that dark and feeling like they're dirty, then, you know, um, I'm not sure that there's a greater gift that we can offer people, especially as men. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, there, there is, there's the hump, right? There's the initial like getting over it. But like when you, and I, I really do, I hope somebody hears this conversation here today and they like have those feelings and the, the, those feelings of inadequacy and shame and, whatever they may be feeling because of that. And they hear you and I talking here tonight and realize that it's something that we both felt too. And if we both feel it, so many other men feel it. And then they're able to start sharing. And uh, that's, that's the point of this. That's what I think you are. I know that's what you're trying to do. I know that's what I'm trying to do. And that's the whole point of all this is to help People, but men in particular, know that they don't have to suffer in silence. There are people who are going to listen to them, and there are people who care and who want to see them get better. Yeah, absolutely. And and having said all of that, I, I have learned that it's important to be transparent with the fact that the pain doesn't necessarily ever go away. But But for me, anyway, I guess I should just speak for myself, it's it becomes more manageable and I'm not as consumed, but you know, for me, sometimes things come up with a vengeance, but again, the, the difference is that I'm, I'm not silent about it. I don't let it fester. And, and I have 
I have those supports. Like, especially with addiction, I, for me, I, I didn't have a single friend in even relationships. We take hostages. So, so when we leave that world, we, we learn how to do everything over again. And, and there's a, it's, I guess I'm just saying this because I, I want to validate to the, the people who have done the work like you and, and just not shy away from the fact that it is work and it is difficult, but it's rewarding, right? Mm -hmm. it, for me anyway, it's always kind of been like two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. Mm -hmm. We never mm -hmm. arrive. It's a process. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's an incredible way to say it. Think of it because that's exactly how I feel is yeah. A process. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't, I know you're a busy man. Like we, I am so happy that you and I have had this time to, to, to have this incredible conversation. And I feel like we could talk until the sun comes up about this stuff. I, I, I truly feel it. And I truly feel a connection with you. And I feel like it's because I appreciate and I understand your journey. And, but I, I also know that you have a family, you have a life to live, and I want to be respectful of your time. So I want to give you the opportunity to, to, to share whatever you have going, whatever you have working. I know you've kind of launched this new clothing brand, which I think is awesome. It's so cool that, that that's a great initiative that you've got. And then, you know, I know COVID's happening. So like some of your speaking things are, are looking a lot differently. Um, but what do you have? What do you have coming up? Yeah, well, first of all, Jason, I again, go back to gratitude. And it's mutual, you know, we, we are connected, we're all connected. And I'm very appreciative of your time too, and cognizant of that. And uh, I just consider myself very fortunate. Uh, what do I have going on? It's, it was interesting because I left the world of teaching over a year ago and, mm -hmm. and I just went full into speaking. It was a knowing it's, it, it's like, I just knew that it was what I was supposed to do. So to have a wife and four kids at home, you know, the, the financial piece was kind of on me, but it was just trust. And so when, when COVID hit and everything got wiped for 2020, yeah, there was a lot of fear and panic, but there was still trust. And 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 it's been a, a wild year of stepping outside of my comfort zone and even learning this virtual world. I would not have done it had I not been forced to adapt like so many of us. We're always trying to think outside the box. And and so I, I'm not sure that maybe we would have connected or I, I definitely would have I would have been way more uncomfortable to do something like this. And it's made me aware of how connected we can be in a positive way through technology. And so I started doing a lot of virtual events, which has been really cool too in, in a different way but i can still deliver a message and i can do things for different communities with greater ease as well and uh so because i had a bit more time it allowed my wife and i to create that clothing brand which mm -hmm. i did not see that coming either <laughs> but it it's just bigger than us it it jason the the day that we launched which was last wednesday was the anniversary of my best friend's suicide. Oh, wow. And and we did not plan that. It just happened. And, and and that's, and go back to what I said earlier with the phoenix on my throat, right? Which is the phoenix is the symbol of the clothing line. And it's the, the, the clothing line is not about Justin, it's not about suicide, but the phoenix is very much about rising up from ashes. It's very much you know, the brand is, is about going back to that inner strength and rising above and recognizing how we have truly 
made it through 100% of our most challenging days. I think that we <laughs> underestimate how resilient we are. And so when people start to wear these bracelets or wear a shirt that says born resilient, I guess our goal and our hope was just that people would wear their resiliency with pride. You know, be proud of the fact that you fought and, and you're going to continue to fight. And it, it's, I don't know, Jason, I don't know where that'll go. And I guess I don't need to know. It's, I don't set goals. I just always, and I'm not religious, but I'm very spiritual. And, and I always just ask for open eyes and ears so that my skill set can be taken where it needs to go, where, where it can help people. Yeah, it's it, it, it's incredible because the, what you say is the thing that caught me there is and it's it, there's this old line that I have, you know, I have a perfect track record of getting through my worst days. You know, that's resiliency. That's just the no matter how bad it is, no matter how crappy your day is, no matter how bad your situation is, you made it through another day and you'll make it through another day. And I find the the mission of your clothing line of that, that born resilient, um, because we are, we are born to survive. We're born to make it to the next day. And it's, it, it, there are, there are going to be tough days. There's going to be tough times, but we can endure them. And with the support of, of people, of people who are like us in our community, people who speak our language, like you say, it's going to make it that much easier to endure. You say it well, my friend. You say it well. Oh, thank you. Well, Alan, man, this has been cool. I have been looking forward to this conversation for a really long time. And it didn't disappoint. <laughs> I, I, huh. I, I found myself, I, I, a lot of times I, I, I make notes. I found myself too captivated to take notes tonight because I was, I'm, I'm just so fascinated and so thankful for your story and your ability to, to be so able to, to share it, but at the same time, be humble with it. It's, it, it's, it's truly remarkable, man. And I, I, I'm very grateful for you. Aw, well, I really appreciate that. I'm grateful for you too, Jason. Well, great, man. Well, I, I don't feel like this is going to be the last time we talk in this in this way. And hopefully the world gets back to normal and maybe we, we, we meet up one day. And because... Hey, stranger things have happened. Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like you starting a clothing line, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Jason, if you're okay, I just want to put my website out there. Because of course. Yep. Please. What, what I find happens is sometimes people who listen to the podcast that I do, there's a connection there. And I had a few people in my life who always said, if you need a place to dump, just dump. And so if there's any of your listeners who are like, oh, wow, you know, that one resonated, or I'm just saying if, if any of the listeners need a place to just dump, um, I'm happy to listen. So the, the, the best way to do that is probably just through my website, which is alankaler.com. It's A-L-L-A-N-K-E-H-L-E-R.com. And just, just go to contact and, and feel free to, to just be vulnerable. Yeah, man, that's great. I, I, you know, I, I, I appreciate that. And because there are people need that people need just that, like you say, that place to dump because 
to me, and I've talked about this before, the ability to just talk and just get it off your chest and just say it, even if it's in an email or a text message or whatever, that's sometimes almost as helpful as actually the getting better is is actually saying what's on your mind and, and letting someone know. That's almost, I feel like, for me at least, and, I, and I've heard many people say the same thing, that it's just as therapeutic. So totally agree. And we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll link your website, all your socials in the, uh, in the show notes of the page. So people don't have any, any barriers to be getting, to get a hold of you. Okay. Well, Jason, it's been a pleasure. Stay in touch, my friend. And I appreciate the opportunity and, uh, yeah, let's, let's stay connected. All right, man. Well, great. This was fun. Appreciate it. <laughs> it was fun. Thanks, Jason. Th Talk soon. Thanks, Alan. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.